Welcome to the Real Education Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Bowles, and on this show, I interview remarkable people who think way outside the box in education. To listen to more episodes, learn more about my guests, or become a patron of this ad and sponsor-free show, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. You can also email me at yours truly at blakebowles.com. Now, on to the show. My guest today is Michelle Jones, Associate Professor of Organizational Behavior and Leadership at Concordia University in Portland, Oregon, and the founder of the Wayfinding Academy, a program offering a handcrafted alternative to higher education. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Blake. Tell us about this Wayfinding Academy. This is something brand new and sounds to me very interesting. What is the basic idea behind it? Well, the basic idea behind the Wayfinding Academy is that we want to offer a different pathway for young folks, could be older folks, but initially we'll focus on recruiting young folks, people coming just out of high school, maybe coming out of a GED program. Maybe they've started higher education at a community college or at a four-year institution, and they don't feel quite satisfied, like they're not quite getting what they need. And they could come to the Wayfinding Academy, which will be a two-year program focused on providing the opportunity for each individual student to do something he or she is passionate about. So we plan to have a core curriculum of about half a dozen courses that are all focused on how to just be a good citizen in the world. So things like passion-based leadership, figuring out who you are and what you care about and what you want to contribute to the world, and communication skills, both written and oral, analyzing data, figuring out how to find the information you need, conflict negotiations, working in teams, stuff like that. That'd be our core common curriculum. Everything else beyond that would be individually crafted for each student in conjunction with a team of advisors. And as I mentioned, we expect the program would take about two years to complete, although we are gonna use a portfolio method. So no tests, no grades, transcripts per se, but when a student leaves our program, they're going to have a portfolio of things that they've completed, and the students get to choose which things they want to include in that portfolio. And they could range from apprenticeships and internships to um, doing a dance performance or making a short film or building a website. So it'll be something that lives online that they can share with anybody they want to share with. Uh, at the conclusion of the program. So it might take them two years to do that. They might decide they only want to do a year and a half and complete it all in that time. They may say, hey, I'm going to hang around for three years and take my time with this. Whatever they decide, we're there to work with them to make sure that they get what they want to get out of it. Which sounds nice, super fun. I wish I had that opportunity when I was a college student. And I know a lot of my current students wish they had that opportunity. But part of it is to address a bigger underlying issue with the, I don't know, what higher education has become. And it seems like a lot of folks are frustrated right now, at least the students that I've been working with for the past 15 years, that they feel like they come and they spend, I don't know, four, five, six years in college and lots and lots and lots of money and time and energy. 
and they feel like they don't know what they want to do at the end. They still feel like they're they're no better than when they started in terms of figuring out how they want to contribute to the world and what they really want to do with their life. So the Wayfinding Academy is our goal is to provide an alternative to that typically accepted pathway of going to a four-year college so that they can come spend approximately two years asking and answering those questions in a meaningful way and then going on from there. Sometimes that might mean that they do go to a four-year college because they want to become an environmental lawyer and then they have to go to college and then they have to go to law school. But sometimes it means that they don't need to go to college. You know, they want to become an artist or a filmmaker, in which case they could just start being an artist or start being a filmmaker and not need to go to a four-year college and get into a lot of debt and so forth. So our goal is to try to help them ask that question in a meaningful way and choose the right path for them from that point on. What I really find interesting about your your approach is that, well, there's a lot of other programs that have started up in the past few years or really since the recession that offer alternatives to traditional four-year degree programs. But very few of those programs that I've seen have actually been started by seasoned college professors like yourself. They're started by people who are generally, you know, disgruntled or have worked outside of the mainstream system, like like myself, for example. So I'm curious, you said you spent 15 years um, teaching students at Concordia University. And what what was the, the experience that you took away from that that made you think, I need to break away from this and start my own thing? What, what was the feedback you got from your students and from your experience as a professor? Sure, great question. And uh, first, I want to mention that I, while I'm the founder in name of this Wayfinding Academy, I've got a, an amazing team of people who are helping me get this all going. Um, and all of the members of our team have a background in higher education, which I think is um, something that gives us a lot of strength and depth and sort of a deep understanding of where students are coming from and what, what, their, what their issues are and what they, what they seek to get out of higher education. So I think that's going to put us in a good position. Uh, I have been teaching for 15 years, only the last five at Concordia in Portland. Uh, I've taught at a variety of places, always taught in business schools, schools of management. And I've taught everywhere from uh, California to Massachusetts, to Rhode Island, New Mexico, Washington State. Um, So I've taught from everywhere from very large uh, colleges and universities like Boston University, where I taught for a year, where my average class size was 45 students, to uh, very small universities and colleges like the College of Santa Fe, where my class size was about 15, 16 students. And I, while I've enjoyed being in higher education, I feel like everywhere I go, and I, I hear a little bit of the same sentiments from students. And and I feel like the, that their voice has gotten louder and more insistent in the past four or five years. And I think that's a lot due to the changing nature of higher education that they, they can feel is happening even if they don't, even if it's not something they're paying attention to on a day-to-day basis. That, and you hear it a lot in the news too about the, the college, the student loan debt crisis right? That it's now surpassed even credit card debt and that it's an unforgivable debt. So you can't 
bankruptcy won't erase that debt and death doesn't erase that debt that uh, so many of our young people today come out of college whether they graduate or not with a lot of debt and it sort of limits their options as they go forward so that's one piece of this puzzle did you see a lot of debt being uh, becoming an issue with the specific students who you were teaching yeah, I did a survey. So right now, one of the courses I teach at Concordia is a leadership class. And uh, one day in class, we got on this topic of, of the student debt crisis. And everybody wrote down on a little piece of paper uh, how much debt they think they will have when they graduate. And some of them are, you know, graduating in two months, and some of them are graduating in six months or a year. And so I watched them as, they, uh, as their faces, and they took out their phones, and they did a little bit of calculation. And they all wrote down on these pieces of paper and then they passed them all to me and I averaged it together. And one of the things I was surprised by was that nobody, it was a class of 26 students and not a single one of them said zero. Not a single one of them said that they would graduate from Concordia with zero debt. And Concordia is a small private liberal arts college, but it's extraordinarily affordable for, for small private liberal arts colleges. So the tuition here is about half what it would be at other similar types of universities. And the highest number that was written down was 150,000. So wow. one person would, yeah, would co will come out of here with $150,000 in debt. And on average, it was close to 70,000 when I averaged the numbers together, which was amazing to me because this is one of the more affordable options in the Pacific Northwest in terms of going to a private liberal arts university. And many of these students transferred here. So I'm finding that that trend has become more significant as well. That and beyond it just being, being a trend, do you feel somehow you know, guilty or responsible for, for facilitating this process? I mean... Yeah, that's been an interesting... Um, it's been an interesting personal soul searching type of process for me. I first I first came up with the idea in very vague terms for the Wayfinding Academy about 10 years ago when I was teaching at Providence College and a colleague of mine and I did a special seminar with about 8 students that we called We Don't Need No Education. And we read a bunch of things on alternative models of education and our and we went on um, field trips and visited alternative models like the Met School in Providence founded by Dennis Litke. And we, we, uh, our goal in that course was if we were going to redesign a college in our, you know, in the image that we would like it to be, what would it look like? And that sort of started me on this whole path 10 years ago. And since then, um, I've been constantly struggling with how do I stay true to these core values of wanting the higher education experience to be about becoming a lifelong learner and learning about yourself and growing and changing and evolving and building skills for, your, for the rest of your life and being in a system that is not set up to do it that way. So what I've done myself is in each of my classes, I find ways around the system, basically. So in the leadership class I just mentioned, where we talked about the student debt, uh, there are no grades. And they just choose their own grade, and, that's, and they set it aside from the beginning of the semester so they can focus on the learning. 
and in the other course I teach, the Principles of Organizational Management course, they get a lot of choice. They get to choose various assignments to do and field trips to go on, and they do a team project and they choose activities. And every time we have a class, we talk about how do you take this stuff and use it in life. And we have straightforward conversations about um, the problem of using grades as motivators and finding intrinsic motivation in the things you do. And I find that just by having those conversations, it frees the students up a little bit. So they, in some sense, they are in this system that is like squashing their love of learning and taking them farther away from answering the question of who do you want to be and what do you really want to do? And it brings them a little bit closer back to that question because they've, they've had these feelings for a long time that something is wrong and that they're frustrated and that they're not quite getting what they wanted to be getting out of the experience. And then being able to have an, a conversation in a safe space with other peers gives them the opportunity to break down some of that and they find a little bit more courage and they sort of just make a mental shift. For some of them, it sticks long-term. For some of them, it doesn't. And a lot of times, I guess I've now been doing this long enough that I will now hear from a student, you know, eight years later or something. They'll say, remember that day in class we talked about this? Well, it's changed my life. And here's what I'm doing now eight years later kind of thing. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So, so I feel like, well, I feel like it's this struggle to do the small part that you can do in the system that you're in. But I've now been doing it long enough to know that it's not enough, right? It's not this me doing this in a couple of classes and impacting a few hundred students a year at wherever I happen to be teaching is not enough. So something more has to be done. And so I have a colleague who's been teaching here at Concordia for 37 years who's helping me found the Wayfinding Academy. And I've got other folks who have been working in higher education in admissions or student services or residence life for you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And they're helping as well to speak to that angle of what students want out of the experience. So it's pretty neat. Sounds like you've been taking a very John Taylor Gatto type <laughs> approach where you're working within the traditional system, but you're doing a lot of uh, encouraging of critical thinking about the system itself. And uh, it, it must be so satisfying to get those emails from former students who said this conversation that we had or this 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 thing, which probably wasn't about organizational behavior uh, or leadership necessarily, this discussion we had changed my life. Yeah, it's pretty rewarding. And what's been happening more recently, the, the impacting students has always been my primary focus. It's the thing I spend most of my time thinking about and doing any place I've ever taught. One of the things that's been happening here at Concordia recently, which has been also fantastic and wonderful and surprising, um, so I've given my notice that I'm resigning from Concordia. So as of December 2015, I will no longer be uh, employed by the traditional higher education system. And uh, as my colleagues find out about that here at Concordia, and they say, hey, we hear, you know, we heard from a student that you're starting your own college. Tell, tell me more about that. And I've found that it's fascinating. From, from my colleague who teaches finance who I thought we wouldn't see eye to eye on an issue like this, to my colleague who teaches the classics, you know, Greek and Latin. Um, every one of my colleagues I've spoken to, including the provost here, who's been extraordinarily supportive, and he's 
a strong advocate that, that this needs to happen, that this needs to be an option for students to find intention and to find purpose before they enter a four-year institution so that they make more of it. And I found that all of these conversations I've been having, usually just in hallways or in, on sidewalks as I cross from one side of campus to the other, they all feel the same thing. They all say, yes, I hear that too. I hear that from my students. And I feel um, like I'm trying to do my own small part to make students feel like all of this money that they're going into debt for and all this time that they're investing is going to be worth it for them. But they just feel like they're fighting this uphill battle that the administration at most higher education institutions and the system in general is not doesn't have the same core values and doesn't have the same purpose as they do as faculty members and so it feels like this uphill battle every step of the way i think is what is what a lot of them are saying and i didn't really realize that we all kind of at least everyone i've spoken to um, who have been teaching for a little while can can feel this and can hear this in our students and in our conversations in the classroom and want to do something better and do something different but aren't quite sure what so i'm hoping that by starting the wayfinding academy it gives some answer to the what do we do about this how can we help it be better and i agree that there's this generalized sentiment of we need to try something different but when we actually get down to the specifics of what different looks like that's that's where a lot of people get stuck and so i know that you it sounds like you've been thinking about this for a decade now And so let's get a little bit more into the details of what this Wayfinding Academy experience is going to be like for someone who chooses to participate. And if it helps, maybe, you know, if I'm an 18-year-old recent high school graduate who's, let's say, I I just finished school and I took maybe six months to go travel a little bit because I read that gap years are a good (laughs) thing to do, but I'm still feeling lost and I'm I'm thinking maybe I should just go enroll in four-year college and take on a bunch of debt because at least that's a safe path. Um, would I be the type of person who would be a good candidate for your program? Yes, you'd be a perfect candidate for our program. And so would so would all sorts of other folks. You'd be maybe at a slight, um, a slightly more, I don't know. I don't know if an advantage is the right word, but you, you may be a little ahead of the game because you've already taken a gap year or a gap term to go travel the world and to try to just explore that question of who am I and who do I want to be in the world. Uh, so that that's an excellent thing to be doing. Everyone should be doing something like that at various points in their life, not just once, but maybe multiple times over as they grow and change. And it sounds like if you're, if you're an 18 year old and you're already questioning this, maybe I should get into debt and take the safe path, but I'm not so sure about that. That's a great question to be asking. So, Yes, you'd be a perfect candidate. We'd be super interested in that. Um, the So a couple of things we would probably want to point out if we were talking to you about whether the Wayfinding Academy is right for you is the structure that we're going to use is a fairly typical junior college or community college type of structure in terms of it's a two-year-ish program you'd leave with an associate's degree from an accredited institution so that if you decided you wanted to go to a four-year college after that you could you could transfer some of those credits just like you could with any other institution so we would kind of have that that basic stuff covered uh related to that we would we 
our goal is to price our tuition competitively with the other community colleges here in the Portland area. So most of the community colleges here, like Portland Community College and Mount Hood Community College, do quarter systems. We want to do a trimester system, and I'll get into that a little in a minute, why we are choosing a trimester system. So three terms, three four-month terms per year. And for, we're expecting that each trimester would cost approximately $2,500 to $3,000 for tuition. And about $3,000 per term is what the other local community colleges charge per quarter. So it would be a little bit more affordable. Our goal from a philosophical perspective is that we would want students to feel like it's a good investment, it's a reasonable investment. If they were to take a term off and work full time or if they have a part-time job on the side or if they're doing an apprenticeship or a paid internship while they're a student, they would more or less be able to pay for their tuition out of those earnings. So we don't want it to be something that students have to go into debt to do, um, mainly because of the mental and psychological limitations that that gives you later in life. If you've got this debt that you have to pay off, you might feel tempted to get into a career that you really dislike and find it hard to get out of that. So we don't want that to happen. We want to do everything we can. So we'll have scholarships, we'll have grants, we'll have all kinds of ways that we can make it as affordable as possible for every student so it's accessible. So during the time, as I mentioned, I've already talked a little bit about the common curriculum which would be about a half a dozen classes. Presumably you could take one per term, one per trimester term for two years, and that would cover it, or you can double up, or however you want to do it. One class per term? Yeah, of that like, core curriculum. Like a block system? You could, yeah, as a core curriculum, sure. Uh, and we, we expect that, because this will be a very small, a very small college to begin with, um, part of our growth plan is that there's a lot of research that shows that about that 150 there's this law called the law of dunbar's number the law of 150 that once a community gets past about 150 people it's no longer easy to make interpersonal connections with each member of that community to know their names to know a little bit about them to form these deeper connections other than just passing on the street so we're going to keep our community for the wayfinding academy to 100 people 150 people including faculty, staff, students, all inclusive. Once we reach that number, we would then start another location so that we're always keeping it community-sized because a big portion of our approach is going to be based on that community. So I'll mention that a little bit more in a minute. But um, So initially for the first couple of years, we expect to have 25 to 30 students the first year, then double that the second year. So for the core curriculum for the first couple of years, each we would be able to offer a couple of op options for each class each term. So you'd choose whichever one you feel like taking next. Um, all students would start with the same in intake course, which is about the one that asks and answers the questions of who are you and what are you passionate about and what do you want to contribute to the world? Because that gives us the foundation for creating your portfolio plan and sort of mapping out what you want to do in the rest of the time at the academy. So every student would go through that. But then every, from that point on, everything else is tailored. You sit down with some advisors, which are faculty and staff combo individuals, and you come up with this portfolio. And because of the team of folks we've put together, 
we have a lot of connections in the Portland area. Uh, so we're pretty well connected and we can get anything a student says they're interested in, just about anything. There may be a couple of exceptions that just have never crossed our paths before, but just about anything someone says, hey, I would wanna do this if I could. We could say, perfect, we're gonna connect you with this person and you can do an internship with them or apprenticeship with them or do some job shadowing, or, you know, whatever it is, they could be a mentor. So we would pair them up with other individuals in the community to try to get them to the next steps of that career path that they want. And Michelle, what does the timing look like? Um, how much time, if I were a student, would I be required to dedicate to these uh, core curriculum courses? And then how much time would I have to do the rest of the program, which is doing my own thing and working with my mentors? And um, what's the split? Yeah, I don't know that we know the answer quite to that yet. Some of that's going to probably depend on because we're taking a handcrafted approach to it and because we're just getting going and what we're doing is not typical, right? What we're doing doesn't have a, a, an already existing structure and format to follow. We're following, as you can hear, the, the format to the extent we feel it helps us, like doing something in trimesters or what have you. But um, beyond that point, I think it's going to depend a lot on our first cohort of students. So we would probably start with them, say it's 25 to 30 students, and figuring out how best, based on whatever else they have going on and whatever else they want to be doing, how best to structure that time. So whether classes are offered once a week or twice a week or three times a week, these core courses. Because with them, we can do a very handcrafted thing because it'll be the first batch of students. And then that, that will help us guide what happens from that point on, I think. Um, as I would imagine it, and I think I speak for the rest of the team, that students who are enrolled in the Wayfinding Academy would also have time to do outside activities. So if they want to be involved in local club sports, because they played sports in high school and they really miss that, and we don't offer sports because we're a very small institution that just got started, that they, but they want to keep doing that, they could. If they want to be involved in volunteering with community organizations, they could. If And... If they want to be working a part-time job on the side, they could. In our ideal world, that part-time job would be something related to what they love doing, related to the path and the career that they want to take, as opposed to just a job at a restaurant or a job in the retail industry, unless that's somehow related to the thing that they want to do. So in an ideal world, being at the Wayfinding Academy would be somewhat of an all-encompassing thing that, that ties all the various interests and bits of your life together in a meaningful way. Michelle, what will the physical space look like? Have you figured that out yet? We're working on that. We've toured a couple of buildings. What we know for sure right now is that it will be in an urban space in Portland that's easily accessible by um, public transit or biking or walking. So we know that we'll be centrally located in Portland. And we plan to have a big common space that would fit our entire community at full size. So a space that would fit 150 to 200 people. And that space would also double as a movie theater where we could do film screenings, whether we're screening films that are created by students or films that are created by faculty or films that have been curated by students and faculty to be shown to the broader community in Portland. So we plan to be sort of a a community center as well, where we invite the community in 
maybe we have guest speakers, maybe we're showing films, maybe we have a dance performance or a music performance by some of our students, and we're inviting community in to see that. So we'd have one large space that could provide that function. And then all of the other spaces would be small breakout style spaces where there's conference room tables or the opportunity to sort of sit in a circle and have a discussion, have a conversation about something. And so, for example, one of the spaces we just toured a few days ago that we think is high on our list has one large space for about 200 people, another smaller space for about 100 people, which we imagine could be a coffee shop, cafe, cafeteria type of area, gathering point. And then it has 17 smaller spaces that could be offices, that could be meeting rooms, that could be mentor rooms, and that kind of thing. Uh, we're imagining we're going to be launching a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo this coming summer. And one of the perks we're going to offer is the opportunity to name and theme one of those rooms. Ooh, bold. Yeah, so we might have one of the... theme the room. That could go any direction. Well, we're going to hope to sort of stick with a global type of theme of exploration and learning. So it might be, you know, you might theme one room that's in Greek style where you're learning all about Greek and the classics. Or maybe there's one room that's themed after, you know, a big social movement in the United States, like the Civil Rights Tour, right? So, so we'd have rooms with various themes so that just by entering a room, you're learning something new, right? Sure. So it seems kind of like a cool perk. I would want it. I'd like to ask, um, from the perspective of, let's say, this mythological 18-year-old, Yes. What, what is the Wayfinding Academy providing that's really different and really attractive to me that the local community colleges in Portland don't? Um, I'm just trying to push back and see what like, the real unique offering of the Wayfinding Academy is, because if I can sign up to take some classes but also have free time to have a part-time job or follow my interests... Um, it sounds to me like the two things that you've got on the plate that I would not easily find at a regular community college are this first introductory um, course in sort of uh, figuring out what I want, how to, how to get it, this sort of meta-learning introduction. And then also it sounds like you have a bigger focus on active mentorship of students than a traditional community college. But still, if I'm that 18-year-old and I'm deciding but between a, an established reputable, like I have friends who are going to this community college in Portland versus your brand new upstart. What is it that's going to sell me on, on choosing you instead of the established community college? That's a great question. And initially, as we're, as we're still functioning as an upstart sort of institution, which by the way, was another one of our name considerations before we chose the Wayfinding Academy. Upstart, upstart Institute was, was another one of our name options. Which, because it captures a bit of what we're doing. Um, initially, I think that the main thing we're going to offer is that we're not all of those other guys. That we're not... A friend of mine told me a story the other day where um, he went to one of the large state universities here in Oregon. And he says that he remembers on the first day of orientation that they sat him down. This is old enough that they didn't do it online. They sat him down and he gave him a piece of paper. And they said... Um, Here's a, on, this, on the top half of the piece of paper, check the box that indicates what dorm you would like to live in, right? So checks the dorm box. And the second half of the piece of paper was uh, a bunch of check boxes where he was supposed to check his major. And he says that he, in that moment, he realized 
there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong with being asked on a piece of paper and at an orientation surrounded by thousands of other people to choose where I want to live for the next year and what I want to do for the rest of my life. And what if what I want to do for the rest of my life isn't on this list? What if it's not one of these checkboxes? Or what if I don't even know what all these things listed here by these checkboxes mean? I'm still supposed to pick one. So, and he feels like the reason what we're doing is important, he's one of our team members as well, is because we're not that. We, we, part of what we're trying to do is say, there shouldn't be a list of things from which you must choose. You should get to decide what it is you want to do from all the available options, and we will help with that process. And unfortunately, most of what higher education has become in our experience is a list of checkboxes. You check off your major at the beginning, you meet with an advisor if you're lucky. Most places don't even do that anymore. Have an academic advisor. Concordia does, but still even that then it's sort of a okay, you chose this major, next you're supposed to take this course, and then this one, and then that one, and then this one, and, and oh, it's only offered once a year, and it's online, and you have to take it that way, or else you can't graduate. And so it's become this series of hoops and checkboxes, and the name of the game is navigating that, so that you can get out. And what we want it to be is more of a engaging experience where you don't strive to get out. You do want to move on and take the next step in life, but it's not about playing the navigation game in order to figure out how to get out. So what we would like, offer... It sounds like you're rejecting the entire idea of, of a track and of just getting on the right track and then, and then you know, going as fast as you can along that track. But I think, I think getting on a track is an okay thing, as long as it's a track that you have knowingly chosen um, from all the options of areas of interest, as opposed to a, a narrow, predefined set of things. So, for example, where I teach now, we have maybe a dozen different things you could choose to major in. There are way more than a dozen different things you could do in the world. And there's almost never a clear path between if you major in this, you will have a job doing that. And a lot of students come in, and I understand why, because of the student load debt and the time investment and the expectation that they're coming to college because it's a predefined path, right? That's the thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do well in high school, then you go to college, then you do well in college, then you get a good job, and then you, from the getting a good job, you can buy a house and you can do this. But more and more people are finding that that path doesn't work anymore. That path doesn't work for them, that path doesn't work for other people that they know, but there's not an alternative to that path yet. So we're trying to provide an alternative with very focused mentorship and guidance to help you work through that, right? So from people who come from higher education backgrounds, who know how to mentor and know how to teach and know how to cultivate an environment where you can have those meaningful conversations and discover the things that you are interested in. And to some extent, it's a matter of giving yourself the permission to follow what you want to do as opposed to what someone else wants you to do or what some checkbox list says is available options. So it wouldn't be for everyone, for sure. There are some, there are, and, I, and I encounter them here in my job at Concordia as well, that there are some people who crave that, would love that, who say, why didn't you start this college four years ago when I was starting college? I would have gone there, right? And you have other people who say, no, I feel more comfortable 
following the traditional path, doing it the way everybody else before me has done it, or doing it the way that my parents are recommending I do it. And that's totally okay also. What we're trying to say is that there should be multiple paths, that we've kind of gone too far maybe in expecting everyone to take the same path when they leave high school. And it's a path that doesn't work for a lot of people. Some last statistic I saw was that only about 45% of people who start college finish college. So that's a lot of people who have a lot of debt and a lot of invested time with no you know, tangible outcome that they can point to. And, that, and part of it is probably because we're saying to everybody, high school counselors are saying to everybody, you must go to college. And it's going straight to college is not necessarily for everyone. Not everyone should go, or not everyone should go right away anyway. And if they're going to go, they should know why they're going. So our mission is to try to change that conversation, to try to say it's okay to do something else for a while, or to spend some time really asking why and choosing the path that's the right one for you. Let's talk about the back end, the staffing side of wayfinding, uh, because you told me some pretty interesting things, which uh, some of them were that you plan to pay all of your staff and faculty the same living wage and that you're building a regular break, a sabbatical into the program cycle for everyone, both faculty and students. So w- tell me a little bit more about these and, and what prompted these decisions. Sure. Uh, I'll start with the sabbatical type of idea. Um, There's a lot of research that shows that by taking a short sabbatical, by getting out of your general routine and going and experiencing something new, and then coming back and trying to draw linkages and connections and trying to tell other people about what you experienced and what you learned is can be life-changing and help helps you connect all of the various pieces and find new opportunities. So right now in the traditional higher education system, most colleges and universities give faculty members a sabbatical once every seven years or so. Um, Usually for half of a term, so for one semester, um, at full pay, or for a full year at half pay kind of thing. So, and what I've I've never gotten to take a sabbatical myself, actually, an officially sanctioned sabbatical from a university. Um, but those are the colleagues that I know who have find it energizing and refreshing, and they come back better teachers and better members of that campus community and better friends and family members because it gives us the chance to sort of rejuvenate and rest while not really being restful because always we're doing something. We're writing a book or we're traveling or we're doing research or something. And that seems like an important concept, this idea of getting out of where you're used to being, learning some new things, having some new experiences, and bringing those experiences back to that community that you're part of. So uh, in our case, we want to be able to give every faculty, staff member, and student the encouragement to take one of those sabbaticals once per cycle. So for now, we're assuming that a cycle is approximately two years long. So we would encourage that once every two years, this is going to be like sort of a logistical puzzle nightmare potentially, but we'd figure it out, that every faculty or staff member would be encouraged for one trimester, for one four-month period, maybe a little less than that if they choose, to go do something else and come back 
and bring back to us what they've learned from that experience, bring back some new connections. Um, maybe they make a presentation or a short film or they've been blogging about it while they're gone or something. So that we're all sort of learning from them. And we'd want all of the students to do the same. So once in the two years they're there, we would want them to go off and do something and then come back to us and share what they've learned. So that's part of our undergirding philosophy is that we want it to be continuously going out and coming back and bringing back new knowledge and new information and new experiences and strengthening the community through that and our connections and our opportunities for students and so forth. The living wage thing is, so a lot of this I think as you're hearing is sort of a reaction to the things that we've found frustrating in the system that we're currently existing in. And one of the other trends in higher education is to hire more and more part-time or adjunct faculty members to teach classes. Uh, because it's a lot cheaper for a university to hire someone who's a part-timer, who maybe has a master's degree to teach a class, than it is to hire someone who's a full-time faculty member. So as a result of these trends, where we have a lot of members of our community in higher education who aren't earning a living wage. You have adjunct faculty who are having to work at three or four or five institutions at a time, sometimes both online and on ground, just to earn enough to like subsist, right? And so one of the things, and it's demoralizing and it changes the priorities and you have to focus on things in a different way because of that. So we, because we're trying to create citizens that are good community members adding value everywhere they choose to engage, we want to remove that concern. Another trend that we've noticed is paying uh, administrators much, much, much higher wages than the faculty and staff who are on the ground doing the day-to-day -day interaction with the students. So we want to remove all of that. And to that end, we've chosen, we've done a little bit of research on what a living wage in Portland, Oregon is. Um, right now for budget estimating purposes, uh, we're, we're using the approximate number of about $40,000 a year as a living wage. And we would pay all faculty and staff, regardless of your job title, because we assume that at least for the first five years of having the Wayfinding Academy, we'll all be in a variety of roles helping one another. And, and those roles won't always be separable. So we want everybody to earn the same living wage and be equitable across the board. So it's the equity thing and it's the living wage to remove that concern. And then if people want to work half time at the Wayfinding Academy and, and have a half of that as their wage, that would work too. And of course we do all the health insurance benefits and, and dental benefits and all of those kinds of things that come, that come along with it. I think if you can combine this commitment to uh, equitable pay for your staff along with the low cost, the highly competitive cost for the students in a way that's sustainable for you guys, you're going to have a lot of attention. And that's, that's exciting. I'm excited for you. Good. We'll be excited about that too. Michelle, let's close on a more personal note. Uh, I know that you live in a tiny house. One of these, how many square feet is your tiny house? Mm, it's about 84 square feet. 84 square feet, the size of, of most people's closets. Um, is your living space in Portland, Oregon. And let's close by telling us uh, what prompted you to do that and does, does this have any connection to your, your ideas behind the Wayfinding Academy? Of course. I mean, everything is connected. Every, all of our decisions, all of our paths and lives are totally connected. Um, as I've been reflecting on my choice to live in a tiny house, I've been living in it for almost five years now. 
Um, but the idea first came to me at about the same time as the Wayfinding Academy initial inkling first came to me. So about 10 years ago, when I lived in Rhode Island, I had a 2,100 foot square house, square foot house, 2,100 square feet, and uh, five bedrooms. And I read this book uh, on, on how to live simply. And I thought, I've got to do that one day. And what, the reason it appealed to me, people live in tiny houses for lots of different sorts of reasons. Um, some choose to do it for environmental reasons. Some choose to do it because it enables them to live in community with their family or their friends um, or be a caretaker for a relative who needs some help but still have their own privacy and space. But for me, the reason I chose to do it was because I wanted to simplify my life so that, so that I could spend as much time as possible doing my legacy work in the world, doing the things that I felt were most important to be spending my time doing. Vacuuming, not one of them, right? So didn't want to be doing a lot of that kind of thing. And it, partly it's just a mental shift. So because I live in a tiny house, I, I have a very simple lifestyle in terms of cooking and cleaning and taking care of all of the household types of things. And I've gotten to the point where I get to spend 95% or more of my time doing things like founding, finding the Wayfinding Academy or um, teaching and interacting with my students or organizing TEDx events and things like that. So for me, it's pretty just like a, it enables me to do all these other great things that I wanna be doing. And, and part of what we're gonna do with, with the Wayfinding Academy is one of the other perks for our crowdfunding campaign that we're launching this summer will be to let other people have an experience of staying in a tiny house. So one of the perks, if you donate to that campaign, is going to be uh, a tiny house retreat. So you get to go and experience what it's like to have that sort of simple lifestyle for a few days and see if it's a good match for you. Who can resist the tiny house retreat? That is just, it's so in right now. It is. It's really taken hold. And eventually, maybe this will, we can do something along those lines in terms of student housing and so forth. If we, if the Wayfinding Academy is successful and grows, we'll, we'll outgrow our space and then want to provide, you know, residential experiences for students and tiny houses may be a key to that potentially. Well, we would need a whole other podcast episode to talk about the idea of a tiny house village, which is close to my heart also. So I'm going to close, Michelle. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Michelle's Wayfinding Academy and you want to know when they're going to start offering their programs, you can sign up for their mailing list. Go to the website wayfindingacademy.org. My guest today has been Michelle Jones. Michelle, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Blake. It was wonderful. This is the Real Education Podcast. This show is produced with the assistance of Zen Zenith, who also created the music. For more episodes, visit blakebowles.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.